Jenny, hey, this is Chris. Well, it's a pleasure to speak to you, Jenny. I, I want to say something right before we get started. Right now I am sitting in Chris's study, and I have his dog Monty in my lap. So if you get uh, distracted by barking in the background, it's because Monty feels somehow he's got to defend us from some <laughs> incredibly threatening force that's coming in the door. So <laughs> I've got two dogs that do the same thing. <laughs> okay. This one's a six-pound attack dog, so you're warned, right? Yeah. I have a nine-pound attack dog. Ooh! Cool. Face off. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, I th- usually, typically what we do, Jenny, is we just jump right in. Yeah. Um, so I know I, today, this afternoon when I got here to Chris's home, it was my first opportunity to actually see your book. Just holding it in my hands, I already felt good. I got to oh, tell you. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so yeah. glad to hear that. There's a really good vibe just coming from the book. So it's very, very, very awesome. So we're just going to kind of jump right in. You have quite a story to tell. I would like you to start. We would like you to start wherever you would like. Well, you know, this is my second garden book. The first garden book I wrote when I was actually going through treatment for cancer. So the, the story probably started back then in 2012. The same week that I got my diagnosis of breast cancer was the week that I got the contract to write my first garden book. Wow. Kind of a leap of faith writing that first book. And then as I was healing from from all of my treatments, you know, I had several surgeries and chemotherapy and radiation. That's when I really started to think about writing this book, The Cancer Survivor's Garden Companion, because I realized that, you know, how difficult my cancer treatment was as it is for most people and how it affected myself as a person and how, and not just my daily routine, but like really deep down inside who I, what I felt like as a person and how I identified myself. And that's where the garden kind of stepped in because I, you know, there were just things that had, you know how it is when you have a garden, there are things that have to be done. And so it just kind of kept calling me out there to, you know, come tend to us, come visit and, so the more I went out into that garden, I, I realized, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better when I'm out here. On the days that I go out into my garden, I feel so much better. And mm. so I thought, you know, I think we all as gardeners know this, but, but sometimes it just helps to put words on paper so people can hear it and get inspired and get some good ideas on how they can use their gardens to heal and stay healthy. So that's mm. where the whole story kind of started and where it led me. So before you got the assignment to publish that first book, had you already been a published author in that field, or was this your very first uh, opportunity to actually be commissioned to write something? For the first book? Uh Uh-huh. For the first book, I had been a garden writer, you know, writer of articles for different companies and lifestyle and gardening websites for several years. I think I started writing in 2009. And then, then, of course, blog, Jay Peterson Garden Design. So that, so I wrote in, in those kinds of ways. And I've always probably been a writer, just not been paid to do so, you know, until recent years. You know, it was kind of the, the culmination of a lifetime dream to write one garden book. I never thought I'd two or beyond that. But it's this book here, the one that I have currently out, my new book, that feels like it almost feels like I was led to write this book because I really feel like this is an important topic to write about that connection that deep connection that we have between gardening and wellness 
So on you know, on that note I, I see this as probably one of the more important things that I've that I've done with my life and certainly written about. Tell me more about that. You know, I think you know how when you're younger you have this idea of how your life is going to go and and for some people I suppose it works out the way they plan, but for most of us it, it probably doesn't. And I'm definitely in that latter category where I started out and got a degree in psychology and then I actually went to seminary and got a theology degree and then stayed home with two little boys for 10 years and then thought, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And I was, I knew I liked gardening, I knew I liked writing, so I started doing those kinds of things, but it wasn't until I got my breast cancer diagnosis and then started writing this book that I felt like all of my life's experiences, whether they were good or bad, all came together to inform the writing of this book. You know, psychology, theology, that that sense of uh, spirituality and, and how all of that relates to gardening and to gardeners. Because I think gardening is a very spiritual activity. For me, it is anyway. And for other people that I talk to seem to have that the same sense of it. Even even people that, that aren't necessarily religious or, mm-hmm. or overtly religious often describe the garden as a spiritual or sacred place for them. So what is, that's, that's sorry, kind of ahead. where I feel like, like all of the things that I've done in my life have kind of been pulled together in this book. So that's why to me it's so important. It's important on a personal level, but it's important for me also to be able to help people as you know that are getting the diagnosis after me just as people ahead of me have helped me that's very interesting because my my mother was a um, breast cancer survivor for about 15 years before she mm-hmm. passed away with um, actually a brain tumor but mm-hmm. oh you know she was 84 so I'm, I'm quite sure everyone was fairly um, relaxed about it in many ways if you think about it but right. um she lived on the Isle of Wight, and on the Isle of Wight, in um, there's a, a hospital there that specialises in gardens for the patients, and uh, wow. it's in Newport, and it's quite famous. And every ward has its own roof garden where patients are encouraged to go out and sit and enjoy the gardens, mm-hmm. and it's won many, many awards. But what's really interesting is that. Most of the patients spend much less time there before going home. I'm not surprised. It, it has that effect on them, for sure. I'm not surprised at all because I, you know, when I was going through my own treatment in 2012, my oncologist told me, um, he said, you know, Jenny, I know that you're, you're a gardener, you're a landscape designer, so I know that nature is a very big part of who you are, just personally and professionally. He said, I want you to consider it a part of your treatment to get outside every day, go for a walk, stroll through your garden, um, take your yoga practice out to your garden, take your cup of coffee out to your garden, just get out there. Because the more I think you stay inside and you're focused on your diagnosis, you allow that diagnosis to become you. Your, your whole life can get overtaken by your illness and your pain and your anxiety about what's happening to you and maybe, you know, what the future holds for you. So I'm not at all surprised that these patients had shorter stays in that hospital if they were encouraged to supply places to go out into and were encouraged to do so, you know. Mm -hmm. It broadens their world. 
Right. It totally changes their focus, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but exactly. Now I'm going to say something, and I'm going to go, what? <laughs> Uh-oh, here we go again. <laughs> One of those fabulous English private schools that had 500 acres of its own land and a lake and a everything, you name it. And we used to have to do what was called a state duty on Wednesdays and Thursdays where we went out and pruned the roses and trimmed the edges and cut the grass and everything. But they didn't let me out any earlier than 18. I had to stay there until I was 18. (laughs) You were incarcerated regardless. The world wasn't ready for you, Chris. The world wasn't ready for you. The number was one one. the roses at the wrong time? That's funny. You know what it reminds me of? I know you have children, correct, Jenny? Yes, I do. They're two grown boys, 22 and 24. Okay. Well, there you go. I remember um, I was just thinking this weekend I was babysitting my granddaughters, and one of them got quite upset about something. You know, when children are, are little, the best thing to do is try to distract them from whatever is bothering them, to just get them to think about something else, and then they forget that right. they were upset about whatever right. it was. You know, that principle, I think that's kind of what you're, you're representing in your book, is that as we, at least in part that's what this book is about, is that it's, it's changing your focus. It's getting your mind off of, as you said, your diagnosis doesn't define you. Um, mm-hmm. you, you. When you're busy, when your hands are busy weeding and you're thinking about all the things that have to be done in the garden, suddenly you forget, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be sick. Exactly, exactly. And it doesn't take away from the fact that you actually are sick. I mean, it mm-hmm. didn't, me getting out into the garden and enjoying myself and getting, feeling that sunshine on my face and smelling the plants and getting my hands dirty didn't take away from the fact that I had breast cancer and the next week I was going to have my next chemo appointment. Didn't change any of that, but it sure changed the way I thought about it changed the way I felt about my life and about myself as a person and who I am, you know, as a strong person, you know, with that kind of a mindset, that can only be good when you're going through a life-threatening illness. That can only be good. Yeah, Yeah. because regardless of whatever would happen in that next week, you sure had a great time that day. And isn't that it? It's moment by moment is how we live our lives. Well, and you know, and that's, I think that's what the garden teaches us. Hmm. You know, the garden... Was, was that a nice sojourn? I'm sorry that uh, we missed it. <laughs> I know what happened. The call just failed, but I'm back. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say you went to put a cup of tea on or something. Yeah. Actually, you know what, Chris? I thought ahead, and I've got my tea with me. Oh, okay. There we go. There we go. Okay, so pick up where, where we were. We missed what you were saying, if you remember. Okay. I think I, I was starting to make a joke um, because I was, I was um, making a reference to Something I wrote in my book, and I can't remember what part of the book it's in. You'd think I'd have that memorized, but I don't. But we were talking about, you know, being mindful in your life and and being in that moment. I was talking about how the garden really does teach us that because, you know, a, a garden, plants in the garden don't spend any time wondering about the plant next to them, you know, is it going to bloom? Will it be prettier than me? Am I going to die first? You know, there's you no, sure? nothing... What's that? Are you sure? I think plants talk to each other. <laughs> they might. Yeah. But the you, thing is, they don't care. Go, go ahead, Jenny. I don't yeah, know. They, Chris they is... talk to each other, Chris, but I don't think they care. I, I just don't think they care. They just kind of do their own bloomy thing and, you know, produce their squash. And Oh, now yeah. I'm going to really shock you. 
Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. The the plants respond to vibrations like you wouldn't believe. Oh, well, well, I, I do believe, believe that. that. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my so so therefore, sure. they they will respond. And, and some of the plants. See, here, here's the difference between an English horticulturalist and an American horticulturalist. Uh oh. Um. In England, we're in zone seven and eight, and we have 25 to 26,000 different plants. Um, here in Kansas City, there's 2,600 or so, and probably in Texas, you're, down, you're up to about the three or 4,000 mark because your plants will suffer from heat exhaustion yeah. rather than cold. Would I be mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and I might have got the numbers a little bit wrong. But what we found, and, and through many, many years of doing this, is that some plants are toxic to each other. Mm-hmm. So you can't plant, for example, a sumac with a whole bunch of plants underneath it because the sumac will poison the plant that's underneath it. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, will, they do have a, um, a, uh, an interaction, is one way of putting it. But I don't think that's oh. the point, Chris. I know it's not, but, I'm, but, but the, what I'm trying to say is that you can set up... Sometimes you look at something and you think, wow, that's gorgeous. And, and it has that vibration. Uh, Anne went to Sissinghurst, for example. We were talking about it earlier mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the summer. And, and the gardens, they, they have a whole white garden there. It's just Stunning. In, it's yeah. amazing. Oh, beautiful. And, yeah. and, and so you can create a stage set, is what I'm trying to say, which is kind of what you're saying, but in, in, in a different way. And I think that the more you do that, the more you can control the events that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Does that make? Have I made my thing, or am I just being silly again? That's be, that's about as clear as mud to me. How about you, Jenny? <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, Actually, I knew I should have kept quiet, so I'm, I'm just going to keep. Quiet a bit. That's a good point in that in that um, you know that that interrelationship between plants and and between um, things in nature and between people. That is absolutely another lesson that we learn in the garden that you're not out oh, yeah. there all by yourself and there are other things and other creatures and other life forms that do depend on you and you depend on them so you know my point in bringing up all that other stuff earlier is that you know it's it's not when i'm out in the garden there there's so many lessons so many life lessons mm. in the garden and one of them is, is is what chris was saying is that we we get through this together and we depend on one another and we and things that happen to me affect have a ripple effect to the people and other creatures around me. But I'm also not obligated to overly identify with things that are happening to me. I can keep myself separate. Also, I can I right. don't have to be crushed with a cancer diagnosis. I don't think it's going to take my life. I've been I've been very healthy in the in the three years since I've been diagnosed, and you know. We don't call it cancer-free right just yet. We call it in remission. But there's every indication that I'm absolutely fine. But I live with that, with that knowledge and that reality that I, I could at my next appointment get some not very great news. So that is something that, you know, I learn things like that, how to handle realities and life and death issues being out in the garden. Because the garden is, there's, it's a constant state of, life, death, and rebirth and renewal all the time without, without ceasing. Right. And we're a part of that. Everybody's a part of that. Yeah, it's a symphony in that way. It is. And, you know, 
and, and I don't bring up life and death in a, in a bad way. I just bring it up in a factual way. And it actually, that, that rhythm that we see in nature of that, of that death and life and rebirth is very actually reassuring to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, it doesn't make me think sad thoughts at all when I think those things. It's very reassuring and it's actually a very beautiful thing to me. How is it reassuring? Explain that. It's reassuring because, because I see that, that life is a cycle and I see that I'm a part of that cycle and my illness is a part of that cycle and it's not the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and everybody has, and, and I don't mean that like in a, in a religious way, although it, you know, I suppose I could, but I just mean that, you know, life just keeps continuing on and, and changes form or is used in a different way. You know, your plant dies, you put it into the compost, you use it in the garden again the next year. To me, I, that, that cycle, that life cycle is very reassuring because it reminds us that there's something bigger out there mm-hmm. that, that's happening. Something bigger than me is at work in the universe. And it's very ancient, this life. And, and to me, that's very reassuring. I love, I love the, thing, the thought that there are many stories that have happened before my story. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be lots more after, after mine and after yours. So do you talk to a plant? <laughs> I love that. Actually, I'm just I'm I'm over here and shaking my head. Yes, yes, ma'am. You you tell, sister. Keep going. Yeah, you you tell like it is. Um, you know, I I, I just I, I'm I know Chris just asked you a question, but I interrupt real quick here. I love that thought because you know when you think about energy and energy cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed. It just changes form. Yeah. And if you think of yourself as energy, um, you're just a part of that continuing cycle, and it and it's it's a beautiful thing. It, the whole process, whether it's the death or the rebirth or the you know the growth or whatever, the every bit of it is wonderful. Exactly. Every bit of it. Exactly. And you know when I was, I, I'm not going to lie, when I was going through treatment and I was out of my garden. I didn't necessarily have exactly those thoughts when I was out there. I was just very happy to be out there in the sunshine and feeling well enough to be out there doing a few things. And it just slowly started dawning on me, you know, what was happening and the benefit of it. And, that, you know, I come from a family of gardeners, like a lot of people do. So I, like a lot of other people, have probably have that sense of how healing and healthy and balancing the garden is. But we often don't put words to it. We don't attach words to it. It's just kind of this mm. free-floating idea. So when I started writing this book, I, it just it, it was very healing, actually, that the process of writing this book because it reminded me of so many good and wonderful and beautiful things that mm-hmm. that I've learned out in the garden and that I've experienced out in the garden. And that's what I hope for other people, too, if they, um, when they read this book. Yes. Yeah. Well, I have no doubt your message comes across. Chris, what was your question? Oh, my question was, do you talk to the plants? Yes, I do. Are you I, kind um, to them or are you... Um... I'm very <laughs> kind to them. <laughs> I'm very kind to them. Chris, would I be anything but kind to my plants? I was going to say, what a question. You might be angry because one hasn't done something like flowered at the right. <laughs> no, you know, if so, if something happens to one of my plants, I'm I'm more apt to get irritated with myself. Like I forgot to water it. What was I thinking? Oh. I crowded it. 
you know, right now I have some red leaf lettuce that I planted way too close to the collard. It's not getting enough sun. It's just oh. languishing, and I wish I could pull it up, but if I do, I just don't think it's going to transplant very well. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my own fault, and I kind of look at that little thing every day, and I think probably not going to taste very good because I haven't given it what it, what it needed. So I might not I might not talk to them out loud, Chris, but in my head I think I'm so sorry I did that to you. <laughs> Do you play music to them? No, but my uh, my sister ah. in junior high school did a science fair project where she played music to plants, and it had a it was very startling, very eye opening. Her how, her results. How so? How so? She played. She had uh, I don't know how many different plants. I think three different plants, and one of them. She played uh, classical music to it. Mm-hmm. Another one she screamed at and yep. told it it was ugly and she hated it and it was never going to be a good plant. And then another one she played just like this horrible jarring music. I don't know, some kind of like heavy metal or something. And then the fourth plant she spoke very nicely to it. And she had her, uh, her recorded voice that would go off mm-hmm. at different times during the day on a cassette player because it was back in the 70s. <laughs> and, Love it. Uh, so the, the fourth plant she would talk to and, and say, you are so beautiful. I can't wait to see you every day. You were, you were just gorgeous. Look at all these new leaves coming out on you, you know, things like that. And it was incredible how when she screamed at the one plant, it started to grow away from the tape recorder. Wow. And the one that had the horrible music played at it, I think eventually died. And the other two were were thriving. Okay. So it's, wow, it's very, it's very uh, dramatic. And would you like me to add a little bit more for you to make it even I more interesting? I would love for you to. Okay. <laughs> so what you're describing is precisely a conversation we had with Jan um, from Heaven is a Garden, who yeah. had one of her books published um, back in the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that was exactly the same conversation, almost to the to the word. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really amazing is this: if you want those lettuce to uh, perk up, all right, what you need to do is to put a double hoop over them, all right. And what will happen okay. is, what what will happen then is the temperature inside the first hoop. Not you know you have an air gap between the first and the second hoop. The the temperature in there will stabilize, and be the same. Um, the same thing that will happen is that the plants will give off carbon dioxide at night when they're photo, you know they stop photosynthesizing and, and take in um, oxygen and give out carbon dioxide, the reverse of photosynthesis, and you will find that they will grow much quicker. True that. And then you talk to them real nice. You talk to them real nice and you say, you guys are beautiful today. Look how big you are. Look how much you're going to produce for me. I'm so proud of you. You know, it's amazing. The power of our words is uh, incredible. Really, it's incredible. That's a fascinating study that you're just describing. But you should, you should really do it. And, and I, I absolutely understand the classical music part. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Violins are absolutely fantastic for opening stomata early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all about vibration. It really is. It's interesting. Yep. But I suspect that that vibration also helps us because we're all, if you think about it, 
we have a huge amount of water in our bodies, just yes. like the plant. Mm-hmm. And it, that's really what it's all about. Yeah, it's true. I'd be very curious to see how your results come along on something like that. I see a science experiment in your future, <laughs> Jen. <laughs> well, you know, my, my fiancé is, he tends, I, I have to admit, he does tend the vegetable garden a little bit more than I do because he likes to get out there early in the morning before he goes off to work. It's kind of his quiet time. And then uh-huh. I'll go check on it in the afternoon. He's kind of the, the science fair kind of guy between the two of us. He likes to try different things. And he, he's not so much like the recording the results kind of person, but he really does like to experiment and he's into the, you know, the cause and effect and things like that. So I'm definitely going to tell him about that. And yeah, would, I mean, you have nothing to that. lose. You have nothing to lose. It'd just be fun to Yeah, to exactly. See. Oh, and, and he's, a, he's a landscape installer. So he's, this man can make anything. I just tell him I want... I want, Chris told me to double, double hoop these. And there you go. <laughs> oh, and Chris told me that I need an arbor over in this part of my yard, by the way. Yeah. Oh, and Chris, Chris said that, we need I mean, to rebuild you, the vegetable garden. That's honey. right. Milk that for all it's worth, Jenny. Just take that and run with it. That's Chris what I and say. Anne, they both told me. <laughs> that's right. Because I'm only it will get dangerous. Oh, that's wonderful that you have um, someone like that, uh, you know, in your life and and that cares about those things the way that you do. That's beautiful. Tell us about that relationship. How did that come about? Oh, we actually met on a job site because I'm a landscape designer and he's an installer. And so we met, I think it was like nine years ago. I'm not sure. I'd have to stop and, and count back. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. tell him I said that. We met on a job site. When people share a passion for something that it really draws them together. And of course, we love plants and gardening. And we were working on this project together it's before we were dating. And we had to take a trip to a, a rock yard to pick out rock for this client. How and romantic. It was. <laughs> it actually was. And because it was, I like, love it. it was kind of an icky, rainy day. And we had our rain boots on. And, you know, we were all kind of bundled up. And it, it wasn't like I don't think it was a cold time of year, but it was just, you know, that dampness that you get. And we had the best yeah. time because we, we were at this landscape supply yard looking at rock, but then there's the piles of mulch and soil. And you know how that smells. It's so fresh. And, right. And his face lit up because I closed, I apparently, he says, I closed my eyes and I breathed in that the smell of the huge compost pile was probably 100 yards. And I said, I love that smell and he thought to himself i am with the right woman <laughs> oh that's awesome so we had our, our first date a few months after that and you know, it was very slow going and we took our time and but he i'm telling you this man's a keeper you know mm-hmm. any any man that can pour you a glass of wine and shave your head when you're losing your hair from chemotherapy is an absolute keeper I would agree with that. Well, I would. I think that uh, you're a keeper too. So we are. This good would be like great that. fun. I think we should get on the phone and talk every week. I'm having so much fun with you too. I think <laughs> we need a road trip to Austin, Texas. Is what I, I think. would love to have you down in Austin, Texas. You would love it. I absolutely do. In fact, I'm just going to start calling you guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, Jen, that would be awesome. I would love it. Ever since we've been doing this, and we're up to about year two now, I think, aren't we? We are, yes. It's a competition between me and my daughter, who is beyond... Your daughter's got us beat hands down, whatever. That's a whole nother conversation. That's true. I love your message. I love your book. And I would like to see it get into the hands of just the people that need it. You know, I believe that'll that's, happen. You know, this is part of how it works. That's exactly, that's exactly what I say. I just want 
the hand, this book to get into the into the hands of the people that need it. People are mm-hmm. struggling. People mm-hmm. don't sometimes know what a resource they have right outside their back door. And Absolutely. you know, I I'm I'm not one to just say be hopeful or just just have a positive attitude and you know, I'm I'm one to be to be real. I want to encourage people to be real that, you know, acknowledge your your situation but but move through it. And mm-hmm. Use the things around you as resources, people and your gardens and the outside world and everything like that. So I really appreciate you guys helping me to do that. Oh, it's a pleasure. It is. It really is a pleasure. And Landscaping or horticulture is a positive thing, and and that's Mm -hmm. really the secret, isn't it? It's being positive. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. And and we'll do everything we can to help in that respect. Absolutely. You guys are awesome. Yeah, so are you. All right, my dear, so we'll be in touch. And if you're ever up here in Kansas City area, you just we've got to go out and listen to some jazz and, and oh, enjoy ourselves and celebrate sounds, life. sounds delightful. Uh, it can be. Oh, and you can come sailing too because we have a oh, yes. boat up here. Seriously, oh, Jen, goodness. you should think about coming up this summer. You know what? Brett and I should do a road trip, and I should see if I can – you know, get some organizing sort of speaking gig in that area. That's, I, yes. that's what I'm doing this whole year is wherever I'm going, I'm organizing speaking engagements, book signings, and all those kinds of things. So if I can organize I love in your area. Do it, do it, do it. I love that. That would be tremendous. You know, we're going to weave it into a sailing trip. Hello? All right. We will talk to you soon, Jenny. Thank you so much. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you, Christian. Oh, you're welcome. Bye. Thank you all for listening today. We really appreciate your support and tuning in on Growing Trends. Again, make sure to look for us on growingtrends.org for the podcast, or we all are, are on iTunes. You can look for us as Growing Trends there as well. Look for the blonde and the brit, and then you'll know that must be them. Thanks for Man and Chris.